Good morning, everyone. And also for those of you uh, joining on the live stream, blessed weekend to you. This is so stressful, right? Okay, especially if you stay at the topic for today. Uh, but before that, just want to thank uh, the pastors were here last week and for annual retreat, and we had a great time. Want to thank all the staff and volunteers for thanking the service and helming it. Can you just help me appreciate them, okay, for all uh, last week, right? We were not around. Okay, good. Now, uh, great team. Now, today's sermon is juicy and sensitive, okay? Uh, but this is a topic that both Pastor Ray, PIC, and myself uh, feel that it's very important to cover as part of our Discipleship in the Family series uh, for the theme for this year. So, there's a lot of scripture that we'll go through today. Let me say this. It's not going to be a, uh, it's quite going to be a packed dense sermon, right? So get yourself ready, okay? And make sure you get your notes ready too. Uh, and for today, just for today, I've asked the ushers, uh, to hand out sweets for all of us here, okay? And they'll be passing the bags around now. Uh, somewhat like Holy Communion style, but you just feel free to take. Let me say this, okay? Yeah, you can take. Uh, there are different colors of sweets, and I'll give you permission to eat in today's uh, service, provided you dispose the wrapper responsibly. Okay, this is only for those who are on site. Okay, uh, you now you can. You are not forced to, but you are strongly encouraged to take one. And you can take. You don't eat. That's fine. Also, ashes. Thank you so much. Okay. There's a point of this to the sermon later, so feel free to help yourselves. Now, let me ask you this question, everyone here, okay, just think with me. Have you ever wondered what's the purpose of humanity's existence? Have you ever thought about this? Why do we exist? Okay, and what gives you happiness? What is your purpose in life? Interesting questions, right? At some point, we will all think about this, and it will also begin to shape our ideas, our ideals, and why we live for. Okay? Now, Bana did a survey with Gen Z. Anyone Gen Z here? Don't have, huh? Okay, can. Now, uh, Gen Z are those born between 2002 to 2015, and ask, what does happiness look like? And this was a survey done quite some time ago. And they ask, you know, these Gen Z people, what has happened to look like? And here you can see that, you know, for them, high on the list, success, okay, personal success, financial, financial success rates really, really high. And that's really important to them. Education next, followed by having a family. Now, just note that spiritual faith, okay, only about 8% uh, say that it's important to them. Locally, how do we fare? Now, this was, a, this was a survey done in U.S. some time ago. But locally, the IPS did a survey three years ago. And I've shared this before in one of the sermons previously. And here is how the trend went. And some of you might, see, might have seen this in a newspaper as well. That over the past uh, two decades... Family has always remained, uh, always remained top. Friends also. But you see, work has declined, right? When it comes to uh, what's important today. I don't know whether do you resonate with this. But what's for me, okay, wealth went into the top five. The pursuit for happiness is wealth. Religion 
completely dropped off the top five list. Does it resonate with you as well that this is your priority and this is what is important to us? Now, you might ask, why, what does these statistics have to do with sex and sexuality, right? Let me say this, because when it comes to uh, views on sex and sexuality, let's, let me refer you back to the Gen Z report. When they ask Gen Z, this is our next gen, right? These are the people who are coming up, the future of our church, generation ahead. Asked about what their views on sexuality is, primarily, like agenda is based on, primarily based on, okay, uh, the sex that was person was born with, uh, what a person feels like, a person's desire, attraction to. You see, those engaged Gen Z, engaged means those who attend church, regard the Bible as God's truth and uh, truth in the world, they view gender as the sex a person was born with, high percentage. You can see how faith influenced their thought, their thinking and their morality. The way they perceive events for sex and sexuality is highly influential okay, because of their religious belief. Versus other Gen Zs, how they feel or what they desire about gender and sexuality is very different. The high percentage okay, uh, is no longer based on what I was born with, but what I feel like. Do you see this happening in a trend today? So you can see now why it is so important for us as church to understand God's design of sex and sexuality. Now in recent years, let me say this, the church has been so under so much stress combating different positions and issues about sex and sexuality. There's sometimes for us, right, even commoners, right, we just look at all the data, it's hard to tell between good and bad and what's wrong or right. It's just going with all the debates, even within the churches itself, right? Let's, let me just quote from uh, one of the theologians here, from Dr. Timothy Tennant. He's currently the president in Asbury Theological Seminary. And he highlighted in this book, and it's an excellent book, by the way. Okay, if you want to get something good in terms of theology of the body, this is a great book to get. Okay? Now, he highlighted the problem of our church in our current culture. Is this. It says, as important as issues around same-sex marriage and gender reassignments are, they are part of a larger spectrum of brokenness that includes normalization of adultery, the rise of digital pornography, the increasing numbers of young adults who cohabit, the wide acceptance of abortion, the growing addiction to violent video games that involve first-person killing, right, and so forth. The church has failed to understand that these seemingly disparate issues are actually manifestation of a single root problem, namely our failure to articulate a Christian view of the body. I believe it's right. You know, we have been so caught up in firefighting culture that we never really have time to teach our congregation properly about how God designed us to be. So today's sermon is going to be about this, okay? It's going to be a challenging sermon to preach, but hopefully we can all recalibrate together. Okay, so will you join me in prayer? Come, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, come and be with us and illuminate our hearts with your word. Speak to us today about your living truth and may we respond appropriately. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people say, Amen.
Okay, so today we'll be going through uh, quite fast. I'll be going through quite fast to answer these three questions, okay? Now, what is our purpose in life? How does God view uh, our purpose? Okay, why does God create humanity? I'm trying to attempt to answer this. How does our identity as male and female fulfill this purpose? And how this culture, evil, seeks to distort our purpose and identity and how we should respond as Christians. Okay, so let's deal with the first question here. Now, let me say this. If there's any place that will give us a glimpse of our original design, our purpose and intent, we need to go all the way back to the original point of creation. Because it is only at the original point where we where it describes a state of perfection before sin entered into the world. Perfection was the design of God, right? That is the only period that we can take a look at it. And let's go to it now in the book of Genesis. And I'm going to read one of Anchor's passage, uh, today's Anchor passage. It's Genesis 1, 26 to 31. And let me say this, I've chosen to use the New King James Version because it provides a word-for-word translation. Now, there are other versions that can use, but some of the versions paraphrase and the translation uh, may not be word-for-word. But here, the word-for-word, especially when you want to do word study, it comes out a little bit more clear. So look at the footnotes, okay, if you're not using some of these word-for-word translation. Another version you can use is ESV, the English Standard Version. So I've highlighted some words for you here. So uh, that we can follow along. And let me just read this, okay? And it said, Then God said, Let us make men in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created men in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So in the morning and evening, sorry, in the evening and the morning were the sixth day. I'm going to extend this to a few more verses about what God says about creation, okay? So follow with me, I'm saying that there's a lot of scripture today. And here are some, that I'll just read out Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The feminine shows his handiwork. Revelation 4.11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Note that. Okay, Isaiah as well. Bring my sons and daughters, right, from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I've created for my glory, right? I formed him, yes, I have made him. Can you see this? Okay, I'm trying to tell you what the purpose is already. And the next one, Romans, clearer. Says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Creation, right? And even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, okay, that God exists because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. You can see that this talks about humanity, Jews and Gentiles. 
Can you see what's the purpose from this? Let me quickly bring you through. Okay, So here are some lessons from creation that indeed we can tell. Number one, God is creative. He's a creative God. He creates and all that He created from the power engine is good. Amen? You can respond, you know. Amen? Okay? Yeah, so scary, right? Now, humanity, it almost seems like humanity was the final piece of creation plucked in on a sixth day. It's like the, no, this grand masterpiece plucked in. And then the whole of creation is considered very good, right? Okay? And we also read from scripture that humanity, we are meant to procreate. We are created in the image of God, but meant to procreate, co-rule, or have dominion over the world with God. You follow that? Right? And all of creation, they're supposed, we are all supposed to glorify God. Our ultimate purpose is to bring God glory, including humanity, according to Isaiah. But there was a time that humanity did not fulfill that purpose. Since when? Of course, the fall. Okay? Since then, we begin to drift away from that purpose. But that purpose is still there. Correct? So according to the Bible, according to the Bible, what is our purpose? It is to bring God glory in our original design. That was what we're supposed to. So all our bodies, our life, our lifestyle, our testimony, everything, our finance, our stewardship of finances, our resources, how we use our time, okay, uh, our ultimate purpose. And this is also consistent with the parables that Jesus has taught as well. Okay, to say everything belongs to God. We are merely stewards. Our ultimate purpose, our lives. We are created to bring glory to God. Amen? You, you saw that, right? In fact, if I may say, the greatest testimony of God working in the world is through creation and humanity. You know? For believers, our lifestyle ought to testify of God's goodness through us and who God is to the world. When people see your good works, they will testify God is indeed at work, is alive, present in the world. Amen? That's supposed to be how it is. So our purpose is to bring God glory. Number one, okay? Now, how does it relate to sex and sexuality then? Now, for the second question, right? How does our identity as male and female fulfill that purpose? Well, let me say this. Our sex and sexuality as male and female is also an expression to bring glory to God. Do you realize that? Okay. Now, let me bring you through that passage again. And this time, okay, it does require a little bit more study. Now, I'll minus the technical details, but I'll just to highlight to you how uh, the original language brings out these expressions. Okay. And it says that in verse 26, I've uh, looked at a different color. It's not that clear in some of the translations, but it, uh, if you follow through, you can see it happening. And say, God said, let us make men. Okay, this is the first time we can see that for a plurality of the expression, us. Okay, uh, but it comes out as make men. Of course, that original word is translated to Adam. Okay, Adam, men, singular. It means a singular entity. In our Notice that our 
plural image. So you now we can come to understand that this is uh, uh, there's a there's Trinity, three entities in that one entity. Okay, I'll explain that later. But let me just explain this first. According to our likeness, but you can see that immediately uh, God says, "Let them, them." Plural have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and all that is creeping over the earth. Okay, so here you can see that immediately the intention is quite clear. One entity, but it is plural also. The intention was that creation let make one, but let them have dominion. Right? Man, of course, here is known. Some translation put as mankind. The Hebrew is Adam, humankind. You can see the translation. Now let me carry on here. In verse twenty-seven, take a look at this. So God created him or man singular in his singular own image, the image of God. And look at the parts there in green. He created him singular, male and female, plural. He created them. Do you see the expression now coming out? And then God blessed them and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and go all uh, and subdue the earth. Right? Have dominion over it." And look at that in verse twenty-seven. This is the part that stands out in terms of our theology. Important. Some translation use them or humankind, but go back to if you use the word-for-word translation, you can see that coming out. Out of that singular expression comes two entities: male and female. Male and female. Let me say this. Interesting, right? This is actually God's idea of oneness. Male and female as one expression. Okay? Male and female as one expression. This is what I call a complex oneness. Complex oneness. You can see how this is intertwined with God's image itself. God's design Okay, his image. Now, God's image. What is God's image? God, he also expresses himself this way. One entity, plural in expression. Of course, we've come to recognize that this is the triune God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, since God is three in one, this whole concept of Trinity, right? It shouldn't surprise you that God can create something two in one that expresses his identity and his image too. Right from the point of origin, right? And there you have it. Now, let's take a look at another dimension, okay, uh, from the creation perspective, Genesis 2. Let me bring you through Genesis 2, 18 to 25, which is the second anchor passage for today. And it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone, and I will make him a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib in which the Lord had taken from the man, he made into woman. And he brought her to the man. And then Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So this is really God's design of sex and sexuality here. He created female out of male. Okay, Some people say he upgraded the species. Right? female out of male. But the point is this. It's the same species created from one origin. He did not recreate from stand alone, you know. He did not start from scratch. Eh? 
He created from something. It's the same species. So note this. This is so important for us. Male and female tied together. Oneness. And therefore, let me add on, a man shall leave his mother, his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the concept that ties in our identity, the Christian institution of marriage. And they were both naked. The man and his wife were not ashamed. Okay, and this is the word of God. Now take note. This is the first pair. Something interesting here. Have you ever wondered? This is the first pair of male and female. Right? There was no mother and father yet. Who is Adam's mother? Why is it mentioned? Have you think have you thought about it? Interesting concept, right? Now, but yet here the design of one flesh is God's design. He is identifying, saying that this is expressed in my image, creation, okay, and the sexuality expression in God's image, and set the paradigm for the future down, saying that this is how sex and sexuality, God's image is to express itself from the point of origin. Here it was still perfect. There wasn't any other male for Adam to join to. There wasn't any other, just the two. And this is also consistent with the previous Genesis account of one singular expression of two natures, male and female, one flesh. All these happened before the fall. No sin, perfect. No shame at all. And of course, one flesh would not just mean sex, right? Of course, for us here, one flesh, for us, we know it's joint and sexual union. But it means so much more than sex. It meant family, oneness, image of God, holiness, glory to God without shame, unblemished. All these concepts are all tied in here. Now, let me summarize. This is the anchor theology that we all need to know okay, for us here. Okay? What are some of the points, even just from these two creation accounts? Here, male and female created perfect before the fall. This was the state of how the point of origin creation ought to be. We need to express that. We are male and female created also likewise in that pattern. Adam first, male, then female out of Adam. Okay, Same species, we believe in this. Now the concept of oneness is expressed in one male and one female as family and as family and marriage, right? Marriage and family. These are the concepts of one male and one female. This is also the Christian concept of marriage. Our practice of monogamous one-to-one relationship with commitments is established. This is important. Okay? Now, so for us, we need to know about this. Okay? This is the only design. Let me say this. We are not like animals that express themselves in multi-multi relationships, right? We are human beings, right? Correct? So one-to-one. And only this design expressed the image of God. All other expressions, male-male, female-female, human-animals, animals-robot, own-self-own-self, whatever permutation you can think of, is not compatible with Christianity. Let me say this. And this is also expressed in our Methodist social principles here. Go to our website. It's all listed there, especially in section 3. Okay? Um, and that's the position we hold. 
And the image of God, let me continue further. And we are created in God's image. The image of God, we are creative like God, but not God. Or we are not all powerful, but with ability to gain wisdom and knowledge, right? But we are not like God, all powerful. And of course, everything is good. Sex is good then, perfect, holy. Everything was holy before creation. Sex glorifies God and each other. And holy marriage from the origin design comes from holy singles living in God's design. Okay? So that's, uh, and that's the concept. So now, if you ask, okay, if it's only holy marriage, then what about those singles? Can they be holy too? What do you think? Okay? Now remember, all our goal is to give God glory. Now let's see what scripture has to say about being single okay, and being married. Now, Apostle Paul has this to say to the church in Corinth regarding being singles. Okay? Uh, it says, First Corinthians here, it says, I say that I'm married to the widows, and it's good for them to remain even as I am unmarried, but if they cannot exercise self-control, then let them marry. Okay? For it's better for them to marry than to burn with passion. So essentially, Paul is urging those who are singles, good to stay unmarried, but if cannot then get married. So Paul is saying being single is good. It is not wrong to be single or married. Both are good. But actually, being single is better. And all the singles in the house say, Amen, right? Never. Now, why is... It's just yesterday there was a lot more commotion, right? There was a, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. Why is singles better? Let me say this, okay? Now, Paul continues to explain. Why? Because I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. He who is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Right? There's a difference, okay? Right? A married woman cares about the things of the Lord, but he, so that she may be holy in both body and spirit. But he who is married cares about the things of the world. How many please a husband? Hallelujah. Okay? Right? I'm married too. Okay? Right? Now, and this is for your own profit, right? Correct? So remember, our goal is to be holy, every one of us. Singles, your concern is to live in the right way, undevoted attention to the Lord. But once you get married, your interest now becomes divided. It's so much harder. Correct or not? Correct? Yeah. But it's still possible in marriage. Of course, there are passages like Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, 5 that tells us to be holy in our marriage. Our goal is to present our husband and wife holy before the Lord. That's the purpose of marriage. Not for self-consumption, you know. Right? Yeah. Go and read Ephesians 5, 22. And the second reason why being single is good, because do you know that marriage is an earthly thing? There's no marriage in heaven. In the age to come, we will all be brothers and sisters. You will be married, you know. How I know? Jesus says so, right? Let me answer. No, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees wanting to trap him. Hey, is this woman marries, husband die, then marries, remarries again, husband die, remarries again, husband die five times. Then in heaven, whose, whose wife will this be? Jesus said, okay, the sons of this age marry are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy, that means those who actually make it to heaven, right? Okay, and the resurrection from the dead will neither be married nor are they given in marriage, nor they can die anymore. For they are equal to the angels and the sons of God, being sons of resurrection. And if we all make it, if we all make it, uh, to, if you all make it to heaven, your kids and your parents, they are going to be the same rank with us. You know? Okay? So what does it mean for us? It means that it's okay to be single or married. Both are called to be holy. Both are called to be holy. Okay? 
our goal is to glorify God with whole lives being called to be singles uh, and married wholly, right? Correct. Glorify God. So there you have it, our identity of male and female to fulfill God's purpose. And this is it, okay? Embracing God's design of sex and sexuality by living our singlehood and marriages being holy unto God. Now, there's a lot to digest. Uh, final question. i come to this now. Now, let's take a mind break for me, okay? Now, does anyone know who is the king of pop? Quickly. Michael Jackson. Okay, my era one. Right, very good. Now, who is the queen of pop? Beyond, no, Madonna, right? Beyonce, somebody say Beyonce, right? Madonna? Okay, never mind, okay? Madonna, I know Madonna, okay? So she's like queen of pop. Because she was regarded as one of the most significant figures in pop culture for reinventing the music industry through her songs, visual representation. Now, she did a record, in 1991, she actually did a documentary called uh, Madonna, Truth or Dare, but it was released intentionally, okay, worldwide, uh, it's a movie called In Bed with Madonna, and she went on a worldwide tour selling her smash hits. And one of the songs was called Like a Virgin, right? Okay, featuring a bit on a stage. Madonna slips into it in sexual overdrive, rolls around the bed displaying sensuality. Not subtle at all, right? And her dancers constantly rubbed the bodies against her, stroking all the sensitive areas while singing. Okay, I cannot sing. Like a virgin touch for the very first time. Okay. Now, so basically, here, okay, uh, what happened, the documentary also featured that the stadium, everyone was having a great time. But, except in Canada, when the police was threatening to shut down and storm into the stadium to shut down province because they believe that he's crossed, their, you know, the, the decency, you know, it's crossed uh, the line of decency in a staging concert. So basically in the documentary, right, and I think this is like our culture today, we have two opposing views towards sex. Number one, Sex is wonderful and appealing. Flaunt it. Sex is naughty and bad. Ban it. Now, you might cringe at me talking about this, but let me say that, is it the same today? Have we changed at all? Correct? Today, you look at all our entertainment, social media, nudity, sex, and our movies everywhere. Nothing, not, not much has changed, you know? And the way I see it, even from the times of Jesus, it's not changed much. Remember what I said about Roman culture? We read this passage just now. Romans 1, They knew God did not glorify Him, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore God gave them to themselves, right? Okay, uh, In the lust of their hearts to, honor, to dishonor the bodies among themselves. If you read further, there's a whole list of injunctions against the culture. Shameful lust, um, women exchange natural sex for natural ones, men abandon natural relationships, committed shameful acts with other men, they became filled with every wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. You know, basically sex outside of holy compounds of holy marriage is sin, sexual immorality. Paul was actually describing a world of eros, that really the church does exist in a culture of eros. People will choose outside of God's will. God will grant them the desires of a heart and they will lead others with them and Christians are not spared at all. So what do we do? Two passages here I'll leave for you. And I'll try to come towards the end. First one, Jesus himself. This is known as the Lord's Prayer also. But because prayer was given, uh, Jesus was praying for his disciples. And 
You should read the whole passage, but let me highlight 15 to 19 for you. And it says, Jesus did not pray for the world, but for his disciples, not for them to be taken out, but for them to be strengthened and sanctified and protected by God's truth. If you want to survive in this world of eros, you need to understand and live faithfully to God's word. Get your biblical literacy up. Study your Bible well. Get to know what God says about his truth. Go for seminars and talks like these, okay? And I want you to make sure that, you know, in this year of discipleship, level up your understanding of what God says about family, sex, sexuality, LGBT, including our theology of life. Okay? And Paul also says in Romans, second part, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel at all. This is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The just will reach, will live by faith. For Christians, let me say this, do not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul was living in a world of eros. Paul did not succumb. And the culture, he wasn't, he didn't say the culture was something that we cannot overcome. But, as Christians, we have Jesus with us. He who is great, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Yeah, don't be ashamed of our faith. And Paul goes on to say, present your, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. So how do we respond deep, deep into God's word? Understand what's holy love, holy living. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Recognize that it's power over sin and choose to live in fear of God as we cheer each other on. Amen? Okay, I'm out of time. Last illustration for me, okay? Let me come to the sweets. Now, a story was told of a school announcing to parents to preview a new course in sexuality. And parents will be able to examine the curriculum and take part in actual lessons. How it's presented to the children. Now, one of the parents noticed that, hey, how come abstinence was not part of the curriculum? And asked this question, and only to be greeted by laughter from other parents. They said, are you kidding? Okay, the school's responsibility to portray facts, but moral values is up to the individual to decide. Parent was embarrassed. Now, tea break time, the parents were handed snacks and the famous sweets that the school was known for. And everyone took sweets, but there was a prompting for this parent not to take. The instruction was unmistakable. It was hard to resist, but she persisted and she passed. Finally, after all the sweets were passed, okay, uh, the teacher said, the sweets represented a disease, and if you took sweets from the same basket or same bag, it represented intimacy. All who took sweets or ate them, you now have the disease. All but one parent raised her hand and said, I abstained. The sweets I passed around today represented culture that's so pervasive, irresistible and common. If you don't know how to deal with it, let me say this, you'll succumb right into it. How many of you abstain? Raise your hands. Look around. Cheer them on and say, well done. Some straight away eat, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> Nobody's business. Free, are free, are for more, okay? Yeah. Let me say this, okay? For the rest of you, don't worry. If you take this, is an illustration to tell you how deceitful our culture is to our generation, especially for the generation to come. You've kept the sweets, eat it, okay? Enjoy it. But let me remind you, let this remind you also how pervasive our culture is. It 
if we don't level up in our biblical truth, we don't stand a chance at all and be tossed around by every deceitful lie of the evil one. Get to know God's word well and choose not to conform to the culture but be transformed. Okay, not just sex but culture. Let us pray. God, thank you for showing who you are, how powerful your gospel is. And forgive us for taking your word for granted time and time again. Always ignoring you, but yet you call us to the life of holiness. Though we've strayed away, but you have strengthened us also with your gospel. So teach us, Lord, to honour you righteously with our lives wholly acceptable in both our talk, our love and our living. Help us to abstain and resist temptations of the culture that are contrary to your will and purpose. May our lives bring you glory and be transformed by your living truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.